If you're joining us uh, this morning, thank you for joining us. And if you're new, I'd love to get to know you. And we would like to connect you into Willow Park Church. If you're listening online, thank you for joining us and listening online. This is our Advent services. And do come and see us in person and say, hi, I saw you online and we've come to church. That would be fantastic. Um, I read here from Matthew chapter 2. And this morning, what I want to do, I don't know about you, but when you look at the Christmas story and you've heard many Christmas sermons, you've heard sermons about shepherds, you've heard sermons about kings, you've heard sermons about Mary, you've heard last week, or actually the week before, because it was Living Nativity, we did a sermon on, um, on Joseph and what he went through called the Fathers of Jesus. And last week, uh, if you weren't around, it was Living Nativity. We had over 250 volunteers. So there's a good chance you weren't in church. Um, we uh, had a brilliant sermon about peace from Pastor Glenn. And if you suffer with anxiety or burnout or worry, it's a great sermon to listen to uh, by Pastor Glenn. He absolutely Uh, nailed it and did a brilliant job with it. But I want to share with you somebody in in the narrative in Matthew chapter 2 who is not the cutest person in the story. And that man is Herod. We love the cute scenes, don't we? We love the nativity scene. I went into a store in Bethlehem in Judea a number of weeks ago when I was visiting the Holy Land. And this is in, um, um, uh, it's not on the West Bank, but it's in um, uh, Palestinian uh, controlled area. And I went and I uh, went and visited there and there was this Christian stall and you could buy figures. And I thought, that's nice. There was a carved out of olive wood a perfectly carved nativity scene that was a meter high with meter high carved um, images. So there was the kings, of course, were there with their gifts. There was the shepherds with their lamb. There was baby Jesus, who was about 12 inches, about the size of Lucy. And, and we were all there. And, and so I thought I had the church credit card with me. I thought... I thought that would be nice. So how much is that? And he goes, oh, it's very, very cheap, brother. Very cheap. It's good for you. Good for you, church. I said, thank you. How much is it? He said, oh, very cheap. Very good. It's good for you. How much is it? It is um, 30,000 US dollars. (laughs) Anyway, I didn't buy it. Um, But there was a figure missing in that, and the figure was Herod. And yet Herod, of course, you don't have the nativity scene. And right over here, 9.2 kilometers, or just about six miles, in a palace in Jerusalem is Herod. So I think you probably should. You should have the nativity there, and somewhere in the corner of your room, have Herod. Ooh... But yet he is mentioned eight times in the chapter 2 of Matthew's gospel. 
So he's a significant personality within the story. And of course, it starts in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. At that time, some wise men came. So who on earth is King Herod? Well, you'll be interested to know, perhaps, that King Herod was quite the individual, quite the power broker, quite the individual who made the difference. Let's go back in time. And King Herod, when he began his sort of uh, becoming king of Judea, he had to regain Judea. He had to recapture Jerusalem. And what he had to do was work with some very famous people that you know, uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra. It was exactly that time of, of a period. And Mark Antony, of course, fell in love with Cleopatra. And we all know the history because we've seen it, the story in the movie. And, and fell in love. And, and, and Mark Antony was the great general. And he was fighting. And he, he proclaimed that Cleopatra would be the queen of queens of all kings was the title. Which meant that she was the most kind of goddess of all of Egypt and beyond. And, and the senators in Rome were not impressed with this very un-Roman-like approach to this queen, Cleopatra. And of course then, Mark Antony had designs on the Roman uh, leadership and started a civil war. Octavian came down. He was, what, 33 years old. He came down and he would later become uh, Caesar Augustus. He came down and they fought together. And of course, uh, Mark Antony... Um, Failed to win. And of course, him and Cleopatra, we know the story in a a moment of love and a moment of, of closeness. Of course, they were toast and it was all over and it was finished. Amongst those little people was a guy called Herod who was betting that Mark Antony and Cleopatra would win. But he bet the wrong horse. So he had to go to Octavia... Instantly when he knew that Mark Antony, it was a disaster, and Cleopatra, who had tried to seduce him on a number of occasions, at least that's what the historians said, and, and Herod sort of talked about, kind of enlarging his image. He, he rushed to Rome, and he came to Octavia, and he, he fell down, he had his crown of Judah, he had conquered Jerusalem with 36,000 troops, he, they, had, they had massacred 3,000 people in the temple, and then the Romans went berserk, and they were killing everybody, and he had to pay the Roman army off to stop them killing, because he said, if you kill everybody, I can't be king of anybody. And, and please stop his money to stop killing people. So this is the kind of person Herod the Great was. He falls at the feet of Octavia and says, Octavia, this is actually what he says, do not judge me on the friends that I have kept. Talking about Antony and Cleopatra. But judge me on what kind of friend I truly can be. Hmm, Clever. Well, Octavia liked this, and he patted him on the back and said, come on then. And you may not know this, but the second richest person in the whole of the Roman Empire is King Herod. If you imagine such a leader like, I don't know, who should I say? Putin today, President Putin. He's allegedly supposed to be the richest man in the world, but nobody knows where the money is. Uh, I'm in danger here of being bumped off. Um, 
And he's got these oligarchs who are multi-billionaires that have ships when they pull into Monte Carlo. They have submarines underneath their ships. So that, you know, if something happens to the leadership in, in Russia, they say, he knows several places where he can go where there are these, these mega yachts. And there is particular oligarchs that are so wealthy and so rich. Well, Herod was one of these to Caesar. Herod was seen the single biggest check, tax check, signed to the Roman Empire came from one man. And that man was Herod. So he wasn't just the kind of provincial king on the edge. He was a moneymaker. He made money. He was ruthless. He was effective. He built forts and cities. He was a man of massive influence. And when he grabbed hold of Judah, he went into three areas. First of all, the first from 37 BC to 27 BC, he consolidated everything. He organized everything. And then beyond that, from 27 BC to 13 BC, he sort of... um, he entered a massive building program. He built uh, Philippi Caesarea, which is a glorious, amazing Roman city on the seas of the Mediterranean. He built Masada, which was a fort which the Romans couldn't conquer in 72 AD. It was immense. And he loved to buy, build forts. He loved to build them with great palace and great security. He had one at Jericho. He had one by the Dead Sea, Masada. He had these forts, his own Herodian fort, just south of Jerusalem. He had all of this protection because he was paranoid that somebody was going to kill him. And he had good reason because his dad was assassinated. His wife hated him, Mary Jane. She, She just wanted to get rid of him. She was the last princess of the Maccabeans. And so what am I, I'm painting a picture. Well, I'm painting a picture of Herod, who is mentioned eight times here. Herod was the man who was utterly paranoid that he was going to be assassinated. Good reason. He was utterly ambitious and would be a, a, was an amazing politician. He was controlling to the very, very detail that he would control everything. That if you went against him, you were in trouble. Not only was he controlling, but he was an utter tyrant. The way that he treated people, and yet he was a brilliant builder. He rebuilt the temple, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. He was able to to manipulate and get people to work and do the most amazing things. And yet death and violence was something that was part of Herod the Great in his journey. He was just, you wouldn't want to be his son, put it this way. He had... 15 sons and 10 wives and 500 concubines. I know, 10 wives. Think of Christmas. Um, Actually, he didn't think about Christmas at all. Um, And all of this going on, his first three sons, he murdered so he didn't really want to be a son. He got so sick of them that he murdered Augustus Caesar, who was known as Octavian, said these words, I'd rather be, 
and they were best friends. I'd rather be Herod's dog than one of his sons for the way that he treats his sons. You don't want to be his brother-in-law. He had a wonderful brother-in-law called Jonathan. In fact, the historians say he was so handsome and so gorgeous that when he walked through the streets, the people would cheer and clap. And so Herod made him high priest. And then he didn't like what he was doing as high priest, invited him to Jericho, to his palace, and there had a swimming party. And in the middle of the swimming party, he drowned Jonathan. I said, oops, he drowned in the swimming pool, sorry. Uh, but he was, and his other brother-in-law was assassinated by him as well. So what I'm describing to you is somebody who is a psychotic, murdering, genius, politician, who basically was paranoid and hated everybody. His, his one love was, was Marianne, the, the Herodian, uh, the Maccabean princess, who was so, so, so sort of, she was so uh, haughty and so beautiful and looked down on him. And yet he adored her, but he murdered her. And he was so upset about it, he cried for weeks. And then he put her in honey so he could look at her. He was mad. But that was the Roman Empire. And so when it says things like this, look at this. During the reign of King Herod, then King Herod, deeply disturbed, verse 3. Well, you're not telling me. He was definitely deeply disturbed. He, he, when he heard about everything in Jerusalem, he called a meeting with the leading priests and teachers and religious law and asked. Now you imagine those priests and teachers. He's called a meeting again. He had a habit of murdering all the priests and teachers. So this was not a meeting that they were looking forward to. Herod's called a meeting. Oh, better make my will out. And... And off they went. There was a disturbance. He says, all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Now, I've wondered why all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Well, if the Herod is disturbed, Jerusalem is disturbed. He had some, some officers, 300 of them, that didn't act in the way that he thought they should have acted. And he had them all executed immediately. It's the kind of man he was. He was disturbed. But you know, the journey from Bethlehem to Jerusalem is 9.2 kilometers. And often the shortest journey is the hardest journey when you want to rule your own life and live your own way. And the only thing that counts is yourself. It's a short journey. In fact, if you're a runner, you could probably run it in one hour from Jerusalem. If you're in a chariot, you could probably get there a lot quicker. And he heard that the king of Jews had been born and the wise men from Iran had arrived. And what does he say here? He says to them, verse 7, And Herod called a private meeting with the wise men. That was the kind of guy he was. He was always having private political meetings. He did it with Octavian, did it with Cleopatra. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, 
come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him. Two. Mm. The only person he loves to worship is himself. See, the word worship means to give over ultimately all of your devotion and all of your love and all of your closeness. And that that thing you worship comes first within your life. That's the context. And that I can go and give everything I am to this baby born in a manger, born in a stable, born at this time. Let me come and worship him. And the truth is that the only person he truly wanted to worship was himself. It was all about him. It's all about what he gave. He was towards the end of his life. He was around 60. He was dying probably at this time. He had kidney disease. His body was starting to rot. His breath smelt terribly. And in his putrid dying state, he makes a statement. As his body is starting to decay in the last two years of his life, he said, I may go and See, there's a danger for all of us that there's a little bit of Herod within us. And we've got to be willing to acknowledge that we all love, we can all get a little paranoid. There's a danger that we forget that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a danger in our lives that we can become driven by our own selfish ambition, that we can become driven by our own desires, that we can be driven and haunted by the shadows of our own kind of world. And yet the way to live your life is not to be the ultimate king within our lives, but to give our lives over to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that was born in Bethlehem, Jesus Christ, who came as the Savior of the world. And it's not surprising that you have two kings brought here. You have a king who has built his life on the worldliness and the ambition and the garbage and the pretense of his world. And you have a shepherd king that is born in a small town of Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem means breadbasket. It means that there in the town of Bethlehem, the bread of life came into the world to feed every one of us. Because if you live like Herod, you will never find true life. You will only find true death. But when you follow the shepherd king, you will find true life within your life. The word Bethlehem can also be, in the root word of the Hebrew, can be uh, connected to the word warrior. And that's probably to do with David. And that you have these two words, the bread and the warrior. The warrior, David, who defeated Goliath, the giant. And what we know is that Jesus, who was born there, was the one that would defeat the tyranny of death, 
the tyranny of Satan, the tyranny of sinfulness, and he would bring down the greatest Goliath in the world, and he would reestablish us with an intimate relationship with God where we can know God within our lives. Oh, Herod would pretend to be religious. He rebuilt the temple. So often we talk about two temples, but in many ways there's three temples. Because he, he, he almost knocked down the second temple. And when he rebuilt it, he built it, of course, with splendor and wonder. I put plates of gold around the side of it. And people would say that as they came into Jerusalem, they would be blinded. Blinded by the shine of the temple. And he rebuilt it and put it all together. He made it more impressive than it ever was. He created that place of, of, of glorious worship. But you knew how crazy it was. The temple where there should be no idols. The temple where the glory of God dwelt. And you, people still try and get close to the glory of God. You can go right underneath Jerusalem. You can follow um, tunnels all the way along the western wall. And you come to a little spot about the size of this table. And there, there's a little glass. And you are the closest you can possibly possibly be to the holy of holies and there deep underneath the arab quarter deep down by stones that are 600 tons in weight there are groups of jewish women fours and fives day and night day and night praying for the presence of god to come back to jerusalem and they're praying there on the stones that Herod put in place. Now let me remind you something. That the glory of God no longer resides in a temple. The glory of God resides in every one of us. And that same glory lives within us. That you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he resides in you. And the glory is there. And the glory of the presence is there. And it was a beautiful sight just to go and pray there for a moment. And just be aware that it meant so much to have the presence of God there. But let me tell you, with the Messiah, Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, you don't have the presence of God there. You have the presence of God here and now. And he lives within you. And he'll get you through that difficult time. Of course, what did, what did Herod do? He built the beautiful temple. It took him 18 years. There was much problems around it. And then you could tell he was going slightly strange by about the time that Jesus was being born. He put an eagle on the outside of the temple. An image. A graven image on the Jewish temple. So they abseiled down the side, several young Jewish guys, and they ripped the eagle off. And, he, and then he killed them. Oh, yeah, but they said, we were doing it for Jerusalem. Off with their heads. He was so powerful. But how stupid. It's like putting a swastika on the side of a church. It's like putting something so offensive to the Jewish nation that they put a Roman eagle, an image on front of Jehovah's temple. 
So where can we land this and what can we learn? Well, I think we've all got to be honest that we're all fallen and Herod is the worst kind. But even Herod could have made the journey to bow the knee. It was only 9.6 kilometers. And let me remind you that wherever you seek Christ, you'll find him. He's there to be found. He's there to be found this Christmas. He's there to be found in your quiet times. He's there to be found. He's there to meet with you. And we have this battle of Herod. Herod had idols. His idols were, were, were uh, relationships, his 10 wives, his 15 sons, his murderous ways. His wealth, being the second wealthiest man in the Roman Empire. The people he hung out with, who are in history enshrined. Cleopatra. He had everything. Celebrity king status. 36,000 Roman troops. He had German bodyguards who were blonde brought in. They belonged to Cleopatra, but then he had them as a gift from... All of this, and yet we're in danger that ourselves can create little idols. And we don't put Jesus first. We put other things first. You have a hideous king, and you have the shepherd king. And there you have the juxtaposition of the two. There you have... The true way that we want to live our life. We want to live it by following Jesus. Now in many ways I tell the story of Herod because we can see in our own world, Western world. We can see in our own nations. We can see where there are wrong attitudes. We can see where there are ungodly values. And we can bring ourselves down to dial down. To the one that we truly want to worship. And the one we want to follow. I love these two verses. And I've got to finish on this. Herod did die. Died in 4 BC. Um, And he had a horrible death. I mean, they, uh, they wrote about it. He had worms coming out of his body. He had, I can't go into detail. You read it, it's, 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 it's not appropriate for Sunday morning. Truly not. But he was a mess. In fact, the stench was so strong that as they led his body through the streets, you could smell his body. But of course, there was a young couple who had to flee and went to Egypt, probably living off some of the gifts from the wise men for those years. And when it was time to leave, verse 12, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. You see, Herod may think he's the ultimate, but God is in control. Now, I want to remind you, this world may have its problems. 
We may face our difficulties, but God is in control. Yes. But then Herod dies, and I've described his death. Verse 19. And when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel. Because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Even the angels in heaven knew when Herod died. Isn't that amazing? Even the angels in Herod knew. What a, what a thing to, to know, to be known in heaven for all the wrong reasons. And what a thing to be known in heaven for all the right reasons. What a thing that the angels knew him. I mean, when he died, he locked up 100 of his leading Jewish leaders. And his orders were that when I die, kill them all, because then Jerusalem will be sad and they'll weep anyway. Because nobody's going to weep for me. But you know what happened? When he died... The jailers let all the leaders out and they had an even bigger party when he died. And he split his kingdom between three other Herods and he split it between them. And slowly that Herodian dynasty started to disintegrate. What do we learn? We learn number one, that ultimate worship is about giving everything up and not pretending. And may in our hearts, ultimately this Christmas, worship Christ and Christ alone. We learn, number two, that idols are very dangerous things in the life of a Christian. And when we put anything before God, we have problems. And we learn, number three, from this story, that God knows more details than we can ever imagine. God knows when to tell a peasant family to go south. And he knows how to lead and guide. And it tells me finally that nobody can outwit God. Not Herod. He played Octavia pretty well. He worked with Mark Antony amazingly. And there are many, many political relationships that he fostered and became successful. But you can't mess with the living God and his Savior and his Messiah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Maybe this morning uh, you've come and you realize, uh, and let me make this clear, the baby was born in Bethlehem. And when I went to Bethlehem, I, there was a massive lineup to go and see the, the place where tradition says he was born. But there is no lineup to meet Jesus this morning. 
If you feel that little bit of Herod in your life, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Herod's an extreme like many ancient despot rulers. But we have all sinned. We all have a little bit of Herod in our life because we have all suffered from the sinfulness of humanity. But there is a saviour and that baby would be nailed to the cross so that you and I could be forgiven and that the Holy of Holies will dwell within your very life. And maybe you haven't got that. And maybe this morning it's time. And just as we finish this song, reach out and ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask the Lord to come and dwell within your life. This was a prayer I prayed. I'll say it and you can adopt it if you want. Maybe you're distant from God and you need to get right with God and the values of the world, which represents Herod, have acted as a, as a poison within your life. Father, this morning I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as you gave yourself for me upon the cross. I give myself to you. And I invite you into my life. To change me. To renew me. That little distance of nine kilometers, Lord. This morning I choose to make that journey and kneel at the feet of Jesus. Amen.